Doreen Percival lives in the Bronx. Like any other New Yorker, she hails cabs and partakes in the city's nightlife. I love to dance. Do you go out to dance or do you dance in your house? Oh, certainly. Since the parties, you have in pursuit of the parties, I do go. Doreen is 89 years old. She moved to New York in 1995 from Guyana, South America. She has eight children and 25 grandchildren. She likes to dance with them, too, but... I don't like the young people music. She says it's... Out of order. Fair enough. Shortly after Doreen moved to New York, she started going to Urban Health Plan, a sprawling network of community health centers scattered throughout the Bronx and Queens. Three years ago, the group opened a new site, specifically for adults 65 and up. Doreen was one of their first patients. The clinic, aptly named the Center for Healthy Aging, takes geriatric care to the next level. It all starts with a star-studded staff. So we have a team of people uh, that includes a social worker, nurses, uh, LPNs as well, uh, licensed practical nurses, uh, nutritionists, a clinical pharmacist, and, and a care manager. That's Dr. Vasquez. He's Doreen's doctor and an important member of that team. We decided to integrate these services as part of the visit. So that's what we do different. At the Center for Healthy Aging, patients have access to the clinic's full slate of specialists. If they're having problems with their diet, they can be seen by the nutritionist. If they're experiencing depression, they can talk with the clinic's psychologist. And no matter what, patients are treated to the full suite of services every six months. These biannual appointments can take up to two hours. Like any doctor's appointment, the visit starts with the nurse, who checks the patient's vitals. But that's about where the similarities end. Next up, the clinical psychologist. The psychologist screens patients for depression through a series of questions. Dr. Vasquez says mental health issues are a major concern amongst elderly populations. Now, of course, you know, how do you, how do you deal with, with, with new stage of life? Your kids are professionals, so they're living somewhere else. Doreen seems to be handling this new stage of life just fine. I am enjoying my old age. All eight of her children live in New York. She says they visit. Enough. Yes, they come and go, you know. I like to be alone. But for those struggling with feelings of solitude, depression is a common problem. Dr. Vasquez says he's seen depression manifest in unlikely ways. You know, it could be dizziness, right? Uh, it could be pain. It could be stomach problems, right? You know, it could be loss of appetite. It could be anything. Appetite. That's next. After the psychologist, patients are sent to the in-house nutritionist. Most people can agree that diet is an important factor in maintaining good health. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. I'm sure you've heard it before. But for our elderly population, diet is especially important. Many of the conditions that afflict elderly patients are diet-related. Diabetes, heart attacks, high blood pressure. These are all linked to diets high in cholesterol, which, as many of you may know, is an artery-clogging fat present in most things that taste good. Of course, our all-star patient Doreen can't be tempted by such things. She says she cooks mostly veggies. I said I don't use much meat. Oh, are you vegetarian? No, no. You're not vegetarian. No, you no. Just don't, you just don't eat much meat. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's what people are calling a flexitarian now. Anyways, back to it. Next, patients meet with a licensed clinical social worker. The social worker helps patients with problems like housing and transportation. Many of the clinic's patients are low income, so if they're struggling to pay rent or buy groceries, the social worker can connect them with resources, like housing assistance or food stamps. But that's not all they do. These multi-talented health professionals also lead support groups. We, we've had two groups so far, and it's, um, uh, it's women. Both groups have been women. And and they come and they you know they share their experiences and and honestly it has been very um, successful, right? Dr. Vasquez says these groups have helped ease feelings of loneliness by giving patients a venue to connect with others. After checking in with the psychologist, the nutritionist, and the social worker, it's time for a very important step: the medication reconciliation. Don't worry, I was confused too. And when you talk about these medication uh, recon- what are they M- medication reconciliation? Re- the medication reconciliation is a review of all the medications a patient is taking. The center's clinical pharmacist checks the patient's medical records and calls their local pharmacist to find out what they've been prescribed. They account for everything: over-the-counter drugs, prescription drugs, vitamins, supplements. The goal is to make sure patients are taking the right balance of medications. Not too much, not too little. The process often involves something Dr. Vasquez calls de-prescribing. In some cases, we need to take medications out because they are producing more problems to the patient, more side effects. Medication side effects are a major cause of emergency department visits among elderly patients. Adverse drug reactions can cause patients to fall because of dizziness landing them in the ER. Dr. Vasquez says he's even seen patients experience memory loss because of a medication. Uh, Usually uh, memory problems is something that is degenerative and is progressive, but in some cases it's medication-induced. And that's why the clinical pharmacist is so important. Uh, And sitting down with them and doing medication reconciliation, sometimes uh, some medications, uh, whether it's prescribed or over-the-counter, might be inducing these changes, and we, we've, we've seen some, in some cases how the cognitive screening improves uh, over time. After the patient's medications are in order, it's time for the final stop of the visit, the doctor. So honestly, uh, a lot of the work is, it's been done already for me, right, uh, by, by, by the team already. But that's not giving Dr. Vasquez the credit he deserves. As a doctor, Vasquez must earn the trust of his patients so he can guide them through the tough decisions that come with age, one of which is end-of-life care. End-of-life, it's a, it's, a, it's a conversation. Like everything in medicine, uh, you develop a relationship with the patient, and at some point you bring this subject, right? Uh, and it's all about what's important for you as a person, as a patient, right? What is it, what is it that is important for you? That's the question that we ask. During these conversations, patients must decide what kind of treatment they want when and if they're not able to make a decision. Do they want to be resuscitated if they have a heart attack? Do they want a blood transfusion should they need one? But sometimes opting for life-sustaining treatment can mean giving up autonomy. What's important for one person uh, is different for, you know, for another person, right? Um, and, and maybe what's important for one person is to be able to go and 
buy their own groceries and cook, etc. So what is it that is important for you? For some, the most important thing is maintaining independence. It was something Doreen couldn't emphasize enough. I can enjoy myself alone. I can be alone without any problem. I like to be alone. Doreen is one of 50 million senior citizens in the United States. This group makes up about 15% of the population. As baby boomers advance in age, that number is expected to grow. By 2030, a quarter of the population will be 65 years of age or older. This demographic trend may have the power to shift the focus of America's youth-obsessed culture. Maybe by way of politics. Maybe some of our presidential candidates for the future propose something bigger, right? As the American electorate ages, it could very well be in politicians' best interests to adopt elderly conscious policies. These policies could take a variety of forms, like local-level infrastructure projects to even out sidewalks and install ramps on the sides of buildings. Or they could aim for systemic change at the national level. That's what Dr. Vasquez says he wants to see. I would like to see something uh, more at the level of the federal government. Uh, so, so, so a national policy, a national policy. Uh, it could be, there's so many, so many things, right? Uh, the caregivers is something, you know, the caregivers are underpaid. Uh, that's an, uh, it's an under-recognized workforce. Uh, some people have to quit their jobs to, to, to care, take care of their, of their parents. Uh, there are some statistics out there that millennials are taking care of their parents, right? So um, I would like to see a greater conversation at the national level uh, because I think there's a lot we can do uh, on different fronts, right, to make sure that we, you know, that we, that we become an elderly-friendly country. Regardless of the specific policies passed, the goal is that every person can be comfortable as they grow older, so that instead of dreading age, we can celebrate it, like Doreen. My young life was very good, and my old one now too is also good, and I'm proud about that. Well, thank you so much for sharing with me. I just so enjoyed learning about you. That's nice. <laughs> okay, sweets. I still got to get okay. home. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. For Direct Relief, I'm Amory Graffinelli.